I want you to hear with your heart today. This is a life-changing lesson, one of the greatest things you'll ever hear, one of the greatest teachings you'll ever hear. We talked last week. Let me just review real quick. These two men, Paul and Silas, were sent by God. They were told specifically in a dream, go to that town, the town was Philippi, and help the people. Well, they got there and it did not go well. There was a little demon-possessed girl. She could tell fortunes. And you know, there is a real demon possession where people can tell people things in their past that nobody knows. We have that today. And that's what she was doing. They helped her. They delivered her and they cast the demon out. Well, when the men who were making money off her saw that, they were furious. And they began to spread lies about these guys. And the whole town got in a riotous uproar, grabbed them, took them to the magistrates, beat them mercilessly, and locked them in jail, put them in prison. And their feet were fastened in the inner stocks. And here are these guys, they're just doing what Jesus told them to do. And there's violence, there's hatred, they're beaten, they're in terrible pain. I mean, they hurt terribly. And they're sitting in this dingy jail cell in raw sewage with their feet locked in chains in the darkness. They didn't do anything wrong to get in this mess. Following Jesus got them in this mess. And we talked last week about when you're in the darkness. We talked about what you don't do in the darkness. Today, we're going to talk about when you get tired of being in the darkness and you want out. And we saw the great verse in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, after all that, and we read, but at midnight, at midnight, Paul and Silas, the Bible said, were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, does that make a lick of sense to you? Everything's gone wrong. People are lying about you. There's a spirit of violence in the air. You are in the worst probably the worst pain you've ever been in. God has disappeared from you. You can't see any way out of this. And all you want to do is praise God for his faithfulness and his goodness and worship him. That doesn't make a lick of sense. Why is this in the Bible? Remember, this is not a bedtime story. This is God talking to you. This is him teaching you one of the greatest secrets of life. All right. Watch what happened after they did this. Verse 26. Suddenly there's a great earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. The, the doors flew open. Everybody's chains fell off. The keeper of the prison awoke from his sleep. Time out. How had he just treated them? Remember, he had to get out of the bed to go lock them up. He had just cussed them, slapped them, probably kicked them. He was very hard on them. And so he wakes up and the Bible said that he wakes up and he saw the prison doors were open. He don't know how that happened. And he supposed the prisoners had fled, drew his sword. He's going to commit suicide. Why would you do that? Because a Roman jailer, if in the morning your prisoners were missing, you paid with your life mercilessly. So he decided, I'll kill myself before they'll kill me. Fixing to fall on his sword, which is a terrible way to die. Verse 28, Paul called out with a loud voice. What would you say to him? Just time out right here. What would you say to him? This man has cussed you, slapped you, beat you, thrown you in there, and you see him in trouble. What would you say to him? Serves you right. Like Ernest T. Bass. Serves you right. Watch what he said to him. Paul cried out to him, said, don't hurt yourself. Do yourself no harm. We're all right here. He called for a light and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas brought him out. And he said to him, what do I have to do to get what you've got? Let me ask you a question. Has there been a change in the atmosphere here? Just a little bit ago, there was hatred and violence and he's slapping them around. And now he's on his knees in front of them saying, whatever you got is what I want. Tell me how to get what you got. What would make a man say something like that to somebody you were just cussing? You must have seen something that really impressed you. He said, what do I have to do to get what you've got? And then one of the greatest verses in the Bible, watch this. <clears throat> Verse 30, what do I have to do to be saved? Get what you got. They said to him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Quit smoking. Start going to church. Throw your Garth Brooks, Brooks CDs away. Is that what he said? This last one of the greatest questions. What do I have to do to be saved and have eternal life? What's God's answer? Believe in Jesus. And that's all he said. Put your faith in Jesus. And then he said this, your whole family will get saved. And the Bible said this, then they spoke the word of the Lord, verse 32, to him and everybody that's in his house. Apparently he took them home, took him that same night and washed their stripes, put, probably put ointment on it, healed their wounds. 
And the Bible said immediately he and his family were baptized, brought him in, they put food in front of them. Now count back if you know this passage. How long has it been since they've eaten? Been a long time since they had food. They're getting fed. And he, and he what? what? What does rejoice mean? There was anger and violence and cursing. Now what you got? You got celebration and joy and excitement in the place. And just, there's just a party going on. Now let me ask you a question. Do you see a change in the atmosphere somewhere in that passage? Do you see a difference in there somewhere? Um, let, let's do this. Let, let me, uh, here's what we're going to learn today. If you miss this, you miss, you're going to live your life blind and clueless. Here's the lesson. There is a spirit realm that controls the visible realm. That's the whole point of this lesson. There's a spirit realm that rules in the visible realm. Now in my nation, in our intellectual or pseudo-intellectual, uh, we have no room for the spirit realm. People totally dismiss a spirit realm in this nation. And, you know, they know some people believe in God and do that God thing. But in our nation, we see everything the way we see it. Listen to what the Bible teaches. There is a spirit realm above us and around us that controls what you see going on on this earth. Do you understand that? The Bible teaches that very clearly. And now let me teach you what the scripture teaches. There are only two spirits in the universe. One is called the kingdom of darkness or the power of darkness. Matter of fact, Colossians 1.13 calls it the power of darkness. If there's not a power, why'd God call it the power of darkness? The other is called the kingdom of God. And it's the power of God working in the earth. Two kingdoms in conflict. And they're everything, the Bible's very clear in this. A lot of people think that, you know, that craziness might go over on South Africa. Every human being on this planet is being influenced by one kingdom or the other. Every family is under the influence of one kingdom or another. Every church, every business, every school, the vi invisible controls the visible. Now, I'll ask you a question. Can you see in this, uh, can you see in this passage right here, two kingdoms? Can you see them both? I don't want you to notice there you got verse 25. Before verse 25, what kingdom do you see operating in this community? All right, let me, let me describe it to you and you tell me which kingdom's working here. What do you see before verse 25? What you see is division, lying, hatred, anger, violence, pain. Who's running the show right there? That's not God Almighty. Who's running the show? That is the kingdom of darkness causing that to happen in people. All right, something happens in verse 25. What do you see after verse 25 in that community? Let me tell you what you see after verse 25 in there. You see freedom and peace. You see unity. You see hope come alive again. You see healing. You see blessing. You see people loving each other again. You see good. Are you with me? Can you see in this passage where one kingdom was ruling in this community and something happened and all of a sudden another kingdom took over? If you can't see this, you're missing the whole point. You'll never understand life till you understand who is calling the shots in my life? Now, I've talked to people about this before and they said, nobody, nobody running my life. I make my own decisions. Look right here. You just keep thinking that. Dear ones, I can show you in the Bible. It's very clear. One of these two powers is ruling your life. And it can go back and forth at times. One of these two powers is having an influence in your life. They may not be controlling it, but they're influencing it. Now, people say, that's all that hogwash that you think there's a booger behind every bush. I want you to look at a verse of me and you tell me what you think. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Now, dear ones, if this verse is true, it should change the way you view the world around you. If this verse is not true and it's in the Bible, you need to take your whole Bible and throw it in the garbage. If you can't trust one verse, you can't trust any of it. It's all truth. And I'll show you one verse in the Bible that clarifies this thing. First John chapter five, verse 19. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the influence of the wicked one. How big is that? Who's calling the shots on this planet? We sing a song that goes like this. He rules the world, talking about Jesus, with truth and grace. Let me make an announcement from the Bible. He does not. And he never said he did. What did Jesus say right here? I don't rule this world. Who rules this world? Somebody called the wicked one. And we call it the kingdom of darkness is what it's called in the Bible. 
<clears throat> Let me ask you a question. As you look across the landscape of our nation right now, what's going on out there? Is this just human insanity that we're seeing in our nation right now? Or is there something behind what's going on in this nation right now? What does the Bible teach? You know, this is the great lesson that there's two spiritual beings in the universe, two powers in conflict with each other. And one or the other is working in your life, in your home, everything. And uh, we need to learn to discern these. Turn back with me to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Let's learn this. All right, if you look through this whole passage in Acts 16, you see that in the community around them, you've got anger and violence and hatred. And, and let me tell you what you got. You got failure. They're not getting done what they want to do. It's, it's just chaos and confusion. And then all of a sudden, in this setting, you see peace and forgiveness. Forgiveness. This man just beat the pudding out of you and now you're being kind to him. Guess whose kingdom that is? That is certainly not the kingdom of darkness. And you see uh, prosperity. They're getting fed. You see healing. You see joy. Can you see there was a change in the atmosphere somewhere? And I want you to do something for me. Tell me where it changed in that passage. Where did this great change take place? Which verse? How about 25? How about verse 25 is the changing point in this passage? Let me put it this way. Verse 25 is where hell got kicked out of town and heaven took over. Verse 25 is where the demonic was forced to leave and the Spirit of God came and took over. And you can see the difference between these two. So how, how do you know that was there? I listen to what the Bible teaches about the Spirit of God and the Spirit of evil. You can't see them. The Bible said in John chapter 3, the Spirit of God is like the wind. You can't see the wind. But let me tell you what you can see. You can see where the wind done been. Are you with me? The Bible said in John chapter three that the spirit of God is like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can sure tell when it has blown through a place, can you not? Come to my yard after a windy day and see. Uh, dear ones, you, you can see where the wind's been. Let me tell you something. You can't see the powers of hell. But when you see violence and hatred and mistrust and anger and pain and deception, you may not see him, but take God's word for it. He's there by what he leaves behind. You can't see the Holy Spirit of God working in the earth, but guess what you can see? When you see love and joy and peace and forgiveness and unity and happiness and healing and blessing, guess who is in the house? You can't see either power, but you can tell by the effects where they've been at in there. And in this passage, what we see is the kingdom of God come in and take over. Now, now our question, you said, well, you know, my home sort of reminds me more of the kingdom of darkness than the kingdom of light. Look right here at your preacher. Change kingdoms. Change kingdoms. What do you think this passage is all about? All right, now, now here's the big question. What did this man do? To, what happened that caused these kingdoms to change? Read verse 25 again with me. At midnight, the darkest place, Paul and Silas were doing what? Praying to God and singing hymns. Why do those two have to be together? Why didn't they just say they were praying? Listen, well, I'm fixing to teach you something real important right here. You got to have the singing hymns part in there because there's a certain way you pray to God when you're singing hymns. Listen to me carefully. You don't pray, oh God, why is this happening to us? God, why have you let this happen to us? Oh God, you don't pray like that when you're singing hymns. That's not how you pray when you're worshiping. Here's how you pray when you're worshiping. I want to praise you and thank you that thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You are the glory and the lifter of my head. You are our redeemer. You are our sustainer. You are our strong tower in the battle here. Thank you that your eyes on the sparrow and we know you're watching over us. And we're going to sing and praise you in the darkness. You know, that, that is the greatest act of faith. And it was this, this I'm going to call it the prayer of faith and the worship of faith. And I'm going to ask you the most important question in this whole thing. If you miss this, well, let's just, let's go eat chicken. Do you think what he did in verse 25 had something to do with what happened in the rest of the passage? Do you think what he chose, hear that word, chose to do in verse 25 is what caused the power of God to come down on that place? If you miss that, you miss the whole passage. So why is this in the Bible? I mean, you know, I might get in a dark place once in a while. Listen, people die, demons live forever. I remember the same idiots that caused them trouble are causing me trouble today. 
The same spirit that hates their marriage, hated their lives, hates my marriage and wants to destroy it. The same spirit that did what they did there hates my family and wants to destroy my family. The same spirit that did that hates my church and wants to destroy my church and my health and everything else. Listen, I'm, I'm just a country boy, but when I see something work in the Bible, guess what I do? I done seen this thing now. And it was this prayer of faith and this worship, this spirit that made all the difference in their lives, the entire difference. Now, <clears throat> I want to show you exactly, if you could see right above what's going on through this whole picture, look in the spirit realm, let me show you what you've seen. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11, where Jesus explained this thing in a way you can understand it. In Luke chapter 11, folks have asked me about this passage in Luke, said this is the strangest thing. No, it's not. It's an explanation of what's going on in the spirit realm above the mess that's in our families. Luke chapter 11 is a great passage. And uh, Luke chapter 11, this is exactly what happened in Acts 19. Let's look at it. Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching us. I want you to watch what the Bible said in Luke 11 verse, uh, let's, let's read verse 20. Look at what Jesus said. If I cast out demons with the finger of God, now finger of God is a term that means spirit of God. If I cast out demons with the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. What does that verse say has to happen before? I right, maybe know what the kingdom of God is. We got to get this right. The kingdom of God is not going to church and being active in church and being religious and wearing a clerical collar and not smoking. That's called going to church. What does the Bible say the kingdom of God is? Romans 14, 70. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God, as the Bible says, is blessed is the man who walks in the kingdom. He'll be like a tree planted beside the rivers. He'll bring forth his fruit. He will not wither and whatever he does will succeed. The kingdom of God is where God puts his hand on you and he blesses you and he blesses your family. Psalm 128, blessed is the man who lives in the kingdom of God. His hands will prosper in the work they do. Your business is blessed by God if the kingdom comes. His wife will be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of his house. Your marriage will do well. His children will be like olive plants. Your family will do well. Things will be well with him. He will live in peace. He will see his children's children. It was the kingdom of God is when God does great things in your life and in your family and people look at you and they just go, that guy's blessed. That's good right there. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed means people envy you. They just say, man, it, everything goes great with them. It's not perfect. Everybody has problems, but there's just something on that house or that family or that man or that church or that business. All right. Jesus said this, what do you have to have to have the kingdom of God come? Look at that verse again, Luke chapter 11. If I cast out the darkness by the spirit of God, then the kingdom comes. Now watch this. Here's the exact picture of it. Verse 21. When a strong man fully armed guards his palace, his goods are in peace. But when somebody stronger than him comes on him and overcomes him and takes from him his armor, then he divides or sets free the spoils. Now, that may not make sense to you. Let me put, let me read it to you from the Southern Alamance version. When an evil man's got prisoners, they can't get loose. But when somebody tougher than him comes and whoops him and ties him up, he can open the door and let the prisoners go free. What's that got to do with anything? Can't you see that the strong man is the dark power that causes such havoc in this earth? Guess who the stronger than he is? I came up with a saying a while back. It's really neat. It goes like this. Greater is he who is in me than he who's in this earth. When the greater one shows up and whoops the lesser one, those that was being held by the lesser one are set free. Is that not what happened in Acts chapter 16? The powers of hell are bringing pain and destruction down on these guys' lives. But they began to worship and praise God and pray to God in faith. Guess who came on the scene and turned things around? If you'd have seen this in the spirit realm, you'd have seen all this going on above it. You can see it going on above homes. You see what's happening out there. It was one man. Now, let me ask you a question. Who decides where God works in the earth? Who decides that? Not God. You do. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Let's see that. In Matthew chapter 16, this is the, I don't know why, but this is the key passage to God working in the earth. 
All right, you got Matthew 16. All right, before we look at this, let's review again. Acts chapter 16, these guys love God. They're doing exactly what he said. Everything goes wrong. They can't accomplish their mission. They get the pudding beat out of them. They're in pain. They begin to pray to God in faith and worship him and magnify him. Everything turns around in a moment. Here's my question. Who caused it to happen? They did by something they did. Look with me in Mark, excuse me, Matthew 16, where Jesus said this. I'm going to throw in this verse for free because it's a good verse 18. I say to you, you are Simon. On this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, it's not talking about organized religion and churches or buildings. Jesus said this, I'm going to be working in the earth. I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be putting, I'm going to be blessing families. I'm going to be helping people. And what do you say about the power of hell? The power of hell will not be stronger than what I do in the earth. It was, they'll not prevail against it. Now read the next verse with me. Jesus said this in verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed from heaven. Who is in control of the kingdoms? What does it say? You. I am. Can you see that Paul was in control of which kingdom operated in that jail cell? Now, I can't control what goes on in Washington, D.C. That's not my sphere. But I can control what goes on in this life right here. I can control who rules right here. As for me and my house, I can control what goes on in my home personally. I can control what goes on in my church. I can't control what goes on in Minnesota. If it's this cold here, I ain't going up there. <laughs> Dear ones, can you see that Jesus gave the keys, the control of the kingdom to you? Don't you listen to these words. If you want me to bind it from heaven and stop it from heaven, you've got to stop it on the earth first. Whatever you bind on the earth, I'll bind from heaven. If you want the power of God and the goodness of God and the blessing of God released in your family, I'll do it, but you've got to do it on earth first. Question, who goes first? Not him, me. I determine what's going to happen in my house and what's going to be in my life. And Jesus said, this is the problem. Now, while we're in the neighborhood, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Let me show you how this works. You ever heard of prayer? Anybody heard of prayer? Anybody ever heard of prayer? Okay. I didn't know if you on the left had ever heard of it or not. You know, prayer is sort of, they say, well, yeah, Christians pray. <laughs> Let me tell you something about prayer. It's not to be something we tack on like a first aid kit. You know what Jesus said about this house right here? He said, my, you know what he said about me? My house will be called a house of prayer. He, the, I was created to pray. Now, when you, if you think of prayers, Lord, we'd ask you to be with Aunt Susie. She goes to Disney World, give her traveling mercies. God have mercy. God have mercy on you and Aunt Susie and everybody. That's not prayer. Dear one, prayer is when your face touches the face of God. And you really don't need to ask for much. Prayer is when you touch God privately. And you do it in faith and it's in a spirit of worship. Read with me Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. When you pray, go in your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father in secret and your Father who sees in secret. Well, what does it say? Will do something for you publicly. What does public mean? People will notice God's doing something for that guy. God's doing something in that house right there. This is one of the greatest promises you'll ever read. Listen, you, you say, well, I'm going to try to be good so God will bless me. I don't see that in there. I don't see a promise to be good. I don't see giving money in there. I don't see being faithful in church. You know what I see? You get along with God and you get your face in front of his face and people will know God's blessing that house right there. Is that not what, let me ask you a question. Is that not what happened in Acts 16? These guys were in a mess. Everything was going wrong. He turned his face toward heaven and he touched God face to face and worshiped him and praised him and prayed. Did not everything change? This is the whole point of the whole picture here. This is exactly what he's saying here. All right, let me point something out to you. <clears throat> Let's go back. Let's go all the way back to Acts chapter 16. Just don't turn. I'll just, I'll just sit. Let's go back to just, these guys. They love God. They're doing right. Some of you are doing right and everything's going wrong. You did the best you could with your kids and they've turned out crazy. Your marriage is in trouble. Let me make an announcement. It is not the will of God that our marriages be war zones. They're not even, we're not supposed to endure marriage. 
Delight yourself, young man, in the wife of your youth. You need to always be intoxicated with her love. You know what that means? When you're so old and you ain't got no teeth and you have to gum 1950s love songs, you're still doing it. <laughs> she still lights your fire. I mean, that just, where did this come on, Louise? Where did that come from? It was, with God Almighty, things don't go from glory to crap. The Bible says they go from glory to glory to glory. I don't understand these things people say, but we need to get, I'm talking to this young guy the other day and he said he had, said he met a girlfriend. He said, I've met this little girl. I said, is she good looking? He said, preacher. He said, she is smoking hot. I said, good. I don't know what young people mean when they say smoking hot. When you say smoking hot to somebody my age, I see this old woman puffing on a Marlboro with sweat running down her face. I think it was good. But the point is, I think he meant that it's good. Or she's, I'm not sure what he meant. I just hope she don't smoke. If you've been married 55 years, she's still supposed to be smoking hot if that's good. Are you with me? <laughs> Delight yourself. Listen, children are not a pain in the neck. It's not what the Bible says. Bell children are a gift from the Lord. There's, God is good. And our desire is the kingdom of God to come in our lives. Now, all right, let's go back. These guys have been, everything's going wrong. It's not going right. They've trusted God. They've done right. Everything's wrong. What if sitting in that jail cell that night in the dark, in pain, what if they had started complaining instead of worshiping? Listen to me. They'd be sitting in that cell right now. What if they had got a spirit, and it is a spirit of self-pity on them, and sat there and felt sorry for themselves? They'd be sitting there right now. Now, you listen to what I'm fixing to say. What if they had accepted it? and said, well, I guess this is what God wants in my life. Uh, you know, he told us to come here and we came and if this, we're in his will and if this is what he wants, we'll take it. They knew better than that. They knew that violence and pain and hatred and division is not the kingdom of God. They knew thy kingdom come, thy will be done. They knew this is not how God wants his people to live. They knew better than that. And they knew what to do and they began to worship him and praise God. All righty. Now listen, listen to me. Let's, let's talk about you for a minute. The Bible's God speaking to you. The Bible's God teaching you about life and how to live. I want you to learn something from this great passage here. Can you identify the ruling kingdom in, everywhere? Can you look at a life and know whether God's ruling in that life or darkness is ruling in that life? Well, this is not hard. When you meet a person and there's fear, discouragement, filth and profaneness, anger, violence. And I don't care if it's justified. When you see those things, guess what? Who's running that life? Maybe not running it. Who's ruling in that life? I right, listen to me. I'm going to use the exact words. When you see a life where there's love and joy and peace and hope and freedom and excitement and they're looking forward and there's a sweetness, what kingdom's ruling there? All right, you go into a home and you go in this home and there's anger and there's competitiveness and they're critical of one another and there's profane nonsense on the television and that family's in financial trouble all the time, not because they don't have enough money because it's not managed well and that, that, they're just, it's just not a good place. What kingdom's ruling in that house? You say, brother, man, that, that's just the way some things are. The invisible rules the visible, according to the Bible. But you go in a home and there's a sweetness and you can just smell it. And there's a, there's a humility and they love each other and they encourage each other. And there's just a happiness in there. <clears throat> and there's biscuits cooking in there. <laughs> and it, you, you just think, I'd like to live here. Guess who's ruling in that home? You go in a business and people are respected. They're honored. That business prospers. It grows. Guess whose hands on that business? Dear ones, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You don't have to wait to get to heaven on the earth the way it's being done in heaven. 
And you need to learn to discern and you need to look at what's going on. Let me ask you a question. Because just for instance, are we, are we struggling with any uh, hatred in our nation right now? How many of you noticed any hatred in the nation in the last few years? Why are we hating each other in this nation? You say, brother, man, that's just the way some people are. You're clueless. You're blind. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. Let me show you something. In 1 John chapter 1, and uh, I, don't, I don't care if you're justified or not. I don't care if you've got an excuse. I'm going to show you. Any place you see hatred, let me show you what you're going to see there. 1 John chapter 1. You know, the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light. It shows me what's going on in front of me. And 1 John chapter 1 is one of the greatest pictures to explain what's going on in the earth. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. He who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in what? Darkness. Now I ask you a question. When the Bible says if you got hatred toward anybody for anything, what does it mean you're in darkness? Does that mean your 60 watt went out? <laughs> what is darkness? Darkness is a presence. Darkness is a power. Darkness is a person. Demons, if there's hatred in your heart, somebody's sitting on your shoulder. Somebody's calling shots in your life. Look at me in verse 11. He who hates his brother is in darkness. Watch this. And walks in darkness. What does it mean walks in darkness? You're being controlled by darkness. There's a power calling the shots in your life. Controlled by darkness. And look at this. And does not know where he's going. You don't have a clue what you're doing. And you have no idea what you're fixing to get into. Because the darkness has what? Tell me what darkness does. It blinds people. And we're not talking about your physical eyes. It messes up your mind. It messes up your thinking. Listen to what Jesus said about government and fathers and families and ministers and leaders. Listen to this. He said, if the blind lead the blind, where are they going to end up? Somebody know where Jesus said you'd end up? If you've got blind leaders leading blind people, where are you headed to? If you've got people with hatred in their hearts leading people who are hating and mad, guess where the whole crowd's going? It's not going to work. You don't know where you're going because the darkness, can you not see the demonic activity in the lives of people that have got hatred in their hearts? It's not just because they're bad people. Somebody's behind that. We have got to understand the word of God and believe it, that the invisible controls the visible. And you, you need to be a, you need to see this. I'm, I'm gonna, I hope I don't offend you here. I met a lady that was talking to a lady last night. I didn't, she said, I teach at Grace Christian Academy. And she taught in the public school before she came over there. And I said, what do you think? She said, it is night and day. She said, I love it. She, I said, well, what's the difference? She said, well, she had a hard time telling me. Let me tell you something. It's not that our teachers are smarter than those teachers. I mean, I hope they are. But that's not, it's not smarter teachers. It's not better curriculum. It sure ain't better buildings. Their buildings are better than ours are. You know what it is? It's the presence of God. It's the spirit of God. And guess what you know where the Spirit of God is? People love each other. You don't hear that snipping at each other. You, you don't hear the hate. Now, it's not perfect. They're not a perfect marriage. Forget it. There's not a perfect church or a perfect family. But there's some a whole lot better headed curve than others. Can I get a witness? All right. It's the presence of God. You know why children come excited to school and want to learn and can't stand to miss school? It's the presence of God. They say, what's school got to do with God? He rules everything in this earth when we let him. And listen to what the Bible says. One of my favorite verses. You need to memorize this one. He makes all things beautiful in his time. Just the touch of God. I maybe think the wrong kingdom can rule in a church. Been there, done that. Not in my house. I think that ball players say it. Preachers need to say it too. But dear ones, we, we need to be one of those people. Let, let me point something out to you, Max 16. How many people did it take to turn a whole community around? Two and one of them may not even been participating. I got a feeling Silas was sitting there mad because he'd followed him. <laughs> Paul's the one who started this thing. But whether Silas is with him or not, one man said, I'm not going to sit here and whine. I'm not going to sit here and wonder why this is happening to me. I'm going to praise you and bless you that you are my deliverer. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. One man decided he's going to rear back and praise God. I've seen families changed by one mama learning how to pray and deciding she's going to be a worshiper of God and get with it. 
I've seen, and I, many a time I've seen families turn around where a dumb redneck daddy who didn't have sense to get out of the rain got his life turned around and decided he's going to lead his family, but not by talking to them. <laughs> Try that and see how it happens with a 13-year-old. They're going to stick in your ear. <laughs> not by talking to them, by talking to him. I got, let me make an announcement. You are not going to tell your 14-year-old what to do. This is the voice of God right here and experience. Let me tell you what I learned years ago as a young man. Quit talking to them. You talk to God. Let him talk to them. How about this? And Father, I praise you and thank you that all my children will be taught of the Lord. Let God, you just smile at them. When they tell you some of those stupid things, that, don't, don't listen to me. My teenagers. When they tell you some of them dumb things you're sure don't go, huh, uh, uh. You just smile and go to your bedroom. Get on your knees and look to heaven and say, thank you, praise you, bless you, help them. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You did not create those children to be lied to and destroyed. You created them to love you and know you and prosper. And I praise you and thank you that thou, O Lord, art working in my house. Listen, that one man turned the whole thing around. One man can turn a business around. One woman can turn a business around. Turn a church around. You can go to a church that's just struggling, suffering, and all of a sudden that church just changed. It's not because they got a smarter preacher or better music or more disco lights. <laughs> Let me make an announcement. It's not because they put coffee in the lobby either. donuts in the parking lot. It's because somebody went into their room and closed the door and talked to their God in private. We have got to get back to where all of our confidence is in prayer because this is going to be called a house of prayer. This is a house of prayer. How are we doing with all this other stuff? All right, let me just, I'm going to quit here. <clears throat> How about your life? Then when you, we, we try all this stuff, we go to all these experts. He is the expert. Do what the man said, he is the expert. You become a person that prays in faith and you become a worshiper of God. How about your family? How about your house? I said, we're doing pretty good. Do better. Make it one of those, make it one of those places where people can't stand to be away from. You make that the greatest place on earth. I decided that the best way to keep our kids safe when they were growing up was not to tell them not to go to them nasty places. It was to make a place so great they couldn't stand to be away from it. I didn't do that, but I know somebody can. One of the greatest promises you'll ever use, how do I straighten my youngins out? You can't do it. Listen to the last promise in the Old Testament. God will turn the hearts of the fathers back toward his children and turn the hearts of the children back toward their fathers. He's the one. Have we forgotten that we're supposed to call on our God and trust Him for this? All right, let me tell you what happened to me. I'm 25, six years old. I don't know, maybe a little older than that. We got married. I wanted to have children. My wife said, you're not mature enough for children yet. I said, let's wait a while before we have children. I said, oh, you, you're the one. You're in charge. I wasn't going to have them anyway. And uh, we've been married seven years. She said, well, looks like you ain't never going to mature, but we can't wait forever, so let's go ahead and have them. So I went ahead and had them and we had children. I remember after the first child was born and I remember, you know, I'm just a little Baptist preacher doing that little thing in a little church. And, you know, just hollering and screaming, having the best time, yada, yada. And, and I just realized, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a clue. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, a smart man will just look to God and say, I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I can do this or not. But I saw Acts chapter 16 and I began to see in the scripture that it's not about reading parenting books, although there's nothing wrong with them. I recommend them. It's not about being smart and creative, although I, I like to be creative. There's no, but the, the key is get God's touch on your house. Become a house of prayer. Get God's touch on it. And so I realized as a Baptist preacher who, who had a degree from a Baptist training school, I realized, why don't we just admit it? I don't know how to pray. You know where I learned how to pray from? Listening to other people. Oh, God. Well, I just thought that's how you prayed. But you know what I saw in the Bible? I did what the disciples did. These boys have been taught to pray all their lives. They went to Jesus one day and they said, you teach us how to pray. 
And you know what he said? I'd be glad to. And then he said, here, when you pray, do this. And I read that and I said, I'm going to do this. So I, I begged him, teach me how to pray. And I said, I'll make prayer the priority of my life. It's not going to be study. It's not going to be preaching. It's not, prayer is going to be the priority of my life. And so I began to go out in the woods behind our little country church. And I began, I said, teach me how to pray. And I said, I'm going to stay out here until I learn how to pray. And I said, not because I want to move the world. I just want to bless my family. And if I'm on pastor, it might as well be good. Have we reached a place where all we want to do is survive? It was, if we're going to do it, let's do it well. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And I said, I want to learn how to pray. Well, to be honest with you, prayer was a struggle for me. It was a burden. It's something you did because you had to. And then I read in the Bible where Jesus said, could you not pray for one hour? And I thought, bless God, I can do it. I can do anything. Jesus said, I can do it. I'll pray for an hour. So I got down on my knees in front of my desk there and I turned the clock where I could see it. Can you see what's coming here? And I got down and I prayed and I, see, I was from the Baptist church, country Baptist church, and prayer was blessed in accordance with the volume. Oh God, bless, I, you know, I blessed everything I knew to bless. I prayed for the dog. I prayed everything I knew. Looked up, I'd been there seven minutes. And I thought an hour, and I heard these people pray for two and three hours and I thought, I'm going to come watch. I didn't know squat, but I'm going to tell you something. If you want to learn, he'll teach you. He who seeks finds. I said, teach me how to pray. And I said, I know how beautiful and wonderful you are. You don't create nothing miserable. I delight to do your will. And my life became prayer. I live to pray. I'm not a preacher who prays. I'm a prayer who preaches. I love to pray. And I began to learn how to pray. And you know what I noticed when I began to learn how to pray from him and I would delight in prayer. I used to have to discipline myself to prayer. Now I have to say, God, I hate to have to stop praying because the sweetness of God's presence when you pray. And if you become a worshiper of God, you're going to enjoy his presence. And guess what I began to notice? My marriage got better. I'm not sure which one of us got improved, but my marriage got better. <laughs> we were laughing the other day. My daughter said, you remember that time when I'm just a baby and you saw that and made that paddle down in your shop? I said, yeah. And I said, what else do you remember? I said, I've never had to pick a paddle up in my life one time. I've never spanked a child. It's not that I was a cushy father. I've just been so blessed in everything I've done. And you know I'm not smart. My gosh. You know what the deal is? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. I saw this in this passage and said, it's prayer. It's becoming a worshiper of God. It's learning how to touch God's face. And, and listen to me. Don't wait till you're in trouble to call him down. Trouble's coming. Get him on the scene beforehand. I mean, we live in a world where trouble's coming. Get him there before the bugger shows up. That's not theologically correct, but it's pretty good. I just learned it's prayer. It's all about prayer. And you just surround your family and your house with prayer and you just bless it with prayer. I've been blessed in my church. You know why it is? It's because I'm so well-educated. I went to speak to this fancy thing a while back and the lady said, I got to introduce you. Uh, where'd you go to school? I said, my degree is from Charlotte Diesel Driving School. She said, you're so funny, really. I said, really? And she stuttered a minute. I said, look, if you want to get somebody else to come, I'm fine. I won't bother me none. I was going to go fishing anyway. I said, I'll be glad to let somebody. She said, no, I just don't know what to say about you. I said, how about here's Johnny and get out of the way. <laughs> Listen to me. You don't need degrees. You don't need great backgrounds. You don't need breaks. You need God. You need the touch of God on your house, on your life, on your business, on your health. You just need God. And this passage shows you how to get him. And you pull him in there and it'll be there. I will, we got to quit. Can I show you one more verse? Does somebody say yes? Okay, I'm going to. Luke chapter 12. I always think of this verse when I pray. Listen, don't pray thinking about your problems. Pray thinking about the word of God. Luke chapter 12 is one of the greatest promises you'll ever see. All right, let's look in Luke chapter 12. Before we read it, just let me ask you a question. Do you think God Almighty is able? Do you think He could make a house good if He wanted to? you think He could build a business if He wanted to? Do you think He could fix a life if He wanted to? All right, Luke chapter 11 and 12 is where He says, I'll do it for you. 
And uh, dear ones, we don't need to be obsessed with making money and providing for our families, although you need to get a job. We don't need to live our lives worrying about the future. Read this with me. Luke chapter 12, verse 29. Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. Don't live your life wondering how you're going to take care of everything and worrying about it. Verse 30. All these things the nations of the world live for. What does everybody around you live for? I got to get a better job. We got to have a better house. I got to get my kids straightened out. That's how people live. He says, what everybody lives for. Your father knows you need these things. Verse 31, seek first the kingdom of God. You make the priority of your life, the kingdom of God. Again, that doesn't mean church. You know what it means to seek first the kingdom of God? Father, more than anything else, I want love in my heart for people and I want love in this house, my home. I want joy in my home. I want peace in my mind. I want peace in my house. I want peace on the inside of me. I want the blessing of God. I want you to put your hand on my home, on my church, on my life. I want the kingdom of God to come. He told you to seek it. And now here's the, you want to see some bonus points. Verse 31, you live to seek the kingdom of God. All these things will be added to you. What do you say? You seek my face, I'll make you car payment. You seek my face, I'll pay you power bill. You seek my face. I'll take care of all that stuff everybody else is chasing. You just seek me. And then the great verse is this. I wonder if he'd do that for me. Read the next verse. Do not fear, little flock. It is your father's joy, pleasure to give you the kingdom. Nothing brings the creator of this universe greater delight than to do things for you, to give you the kingdom of God. All right, you that have got children, can I ask you a question? You like giving them stuff? Make you mad? To make you mad to have to give your children things? I mean, if you give your children stuff, say, crap. Here. Hope it makes you happy. Do you have any idea what that cost me? I left the receipt so you can see it. Is that what y'all do? It's not what I do. I love to give my kids stuff. I, mean, I, I enjoy it. I think I get a bigger kick out of giving them stuff than I do getting stuff myself. I just made up a new saying, more blessed to give than to receive. I don't know where I got that from. I just love to give my kids I, and, and grandkids. I love to give. I ain't even got them. I'm giving them stuff while I'm stacking it up for them. You understand what I'm saying? You say, Pastor, a pistol? Yeah, I love to give my kids pistols. And my son recently, I had a birthday a while back, gave him a new pay. He opened it and stood there and looked. I could see he, had, he was so happy to get it. I was happier giving it. He took a picture and sent it to his girlfriend. That probably wasn't a good idea. But the point is, I just thought, don't you enjoy giving your kids stuff? Listen to what the Bible said in the preceding chapter. If, you being, if your son asks for bread, would you hand him a rock? If you being evil compared to me will give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who, see my know? Ask. Ask. And that verse tells me right there, God gets excited about some things. Tell me what verse 32 says he gets excited about. It is your father. It excites him. It's his pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's his pleasure to protect you. It's his pleasure to bring joy into your family and peace into your home. Listen, folks, find you a closet somewhere or a car or a barn or whatever you got. And you get in there and you learn how to pray and worship God. And you call on his name and you say, I can't fix this. I can't change this. I, I get in there and I tell him, I can't even fix me. That was better. You should have more than one amen on I can't even fix me. I can fake it. But where nobody looks, I can't fix me. He's that good. He can fix it. Call on the name of the Lord your God. Let me quit by throwing this in here. A lot of folks are concerned about our nation. We're in trouble. And uh, half of you know what the problem is. Don't be quiet. You tell me all week long. Half of you know what the problem is. It's the Democrats, isn't it? The other half of you know what the problem really is, don't you? It's the elephants, isn't it? You know what God says about it? Why don't you listen to what God says about nations? If my people, not Democrats, not Republicans, not dumb rednecks or violent criminals, if my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin. I will fix the nation. I will heal the land. If the land goes unhealed, it's not the Democrats or the Republicans or the, it's me. 
Now, don't, don't let that beat you up. Praise God. Guess who he just put healing in the hands of? Because I don't care how screwed up your family is. He is the almighty. And he is in a room waiting on you. Waiting on you to meet him there. That's why it's called daily. I just decided I'm just going to live there. Let's try it. You want to try it together? Pray with me. Father, I want to praise you and thank you. I want to praise you and thank you that thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You are the glory and the lifter of my head. I worship you and bless you. I want to praise you and thank you that no weapon formed will ever prosper against me, my family, or my church. I praise you that you give your angels charge over me, my family, and my church to guard us in all our ways, lest we should dash our foot against a stone. Thank you that no evil will befall me, nor will any plague come near my dwelling because the angel of the Lord encamps all around them and secures them. I bless you and praise you for your goodness. Thank you that blessed is the man who seeks the Lord and walks in his ways. Everything he does will prosper. The works of his hands will be blessed. His wife will be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of his house. His children like olive plants all around his table. Whatsoever he does shall be blessed. Father, I praise you and thank you. I don't care how I feel. I don't care how dark it is. I thank you that your word is true. And I thank you that we can touch the heart of God in prayer and in worship. And then you will touch around us. I want your hand on my life. I want your hand on the inside first. Your word said, clean the inside of the cup out and then the outside will be clean. Clean me out from the inside because you are able. I want my house blessed. I want my house to be a sweet place to go to. I want people to, I want, people to want to be in that house because of something they sense there. I want this church to have your hand on it. I don't care how fancy we are. I don't care how well-known we are. All I care about is that you are in the house, that your presence is here, that homes are doing better, lives are being healed, people are being set free from the garbage, and people are hearing hope from heaven. I trust you for that. Thank you for your goodness. And I just want to praise you and thank you that it is your joy to give to us what you've planned. We give you all the praise and glory for your goodness worship you and thank you for your great kindness in the strong name of Jesus I pray and everybody that agreed said amen, amen and amen